just while we were worshiping, I, I, was, I felt uh, I need to start this message with a story. Uh, I was going to include this as an example later in my, in my preach to do with testing, but um, I just felt to, to start with a story, and I promise you I am going somewhere with it. But um, I had a moment personally towards the end of, of last year where um, I felt like, Lord, I'd, I don't, I'm trying not to be too, too overdramatic here. I'm not, I'm not known for being overly dramatic, so <clears throat> yeah, my heart. But to do with my calling, to do with my calling uh, in leading, I had a moment where I was like, Lord, this is hard. Um, I, d- I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Um, and I came before the Lord, and you, you know when you have one of those moments where you, where you, have, to get, you have to come back to, like, wh- why do I do this again? <laughs> why do I put myself through this? You know? You, you wrestle with the question of, like, why do I, am I, do I just like pain? You know? <laughs> why do I do this? And I was having a chat with another lead elder um, recently, and I was just sharing about 2023 and some of the things that I went through and I, and I told him about this moment that I had and he said, yeah, no, he, had, he has one of those moments at least once a year. <laughs> and it, it was just um, a moment where I had to come before the Lord and say, Lord, why do I do what I do? And I felt like the Lord this morning, again, I wasn't going to start with that story, but I almost feel like it may be good to start with a story like that because I feel like this morning the Lord wants to envision us what is it that he's doing? And what does he want us to participate in with him? Why is it that we do what we do? Why is it that we sacrifice what we sacrifice? I mean, we just prayed out for all of our friends this morning. It's hard. It's painful to do that. Um, some of those people are, are very close friends of mine. Like, why do we do what we do? Why are we, you know, are we do, do we just like pain? Um, and I believe um, <clears throat> at least part of the question is answered by this, this verse in Matthew chapter 4. And you want to just put up, I think it's the second, yeah, the very next one. Matthew chapter 4. It says, the people living in darkness. And as we read this, obviously the context is Galilee, but I want you to think of Cape Town and this verse being spoken over our city. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you wanted to give the shortest summary of what the gospel message is, that's it. Turn your life around through the gospel because Jesus is coming back. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. It's soon. It's coming back soon. And there is this urgency that I feel in the Lord, and it's not new. There is this urgency that we carry that the kingdom of heaven is near. And what we are busy with now is all pointing towards what's coming in the future. Um, So I wanted to just unpack that a little bit. Like, what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is near? And what impact does that have on our lives and on this year? Generally in January, I don't know, some people do this. Zandi doesn't do this. Many people do this. I do this. I asked sons, like, so what are you feeling for the year? So she said, just to keep one foot in front of the other. I was like, 
Okay. That's good. Faithfulness. I'm a visionary. I like to, you know, like big picture, like where are we going? What's the spirit doing? Plan my life. What do we need to change? And, and that happens a lot in January, you know. Maybe you like that. And I, and I think it's good to start the year with like, what, what are we doing here? What, what am I doing with my life? Because it helps you to prioritize and put everything in order and, and let everything in your life find its right place. Does that make sense? And so this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, has a double meaning. Partly what it means is the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus was saying it because he was near. He was there. It's not near anymore. It, it came. Right? We're looking at the perspective of looking backwards. The kingdom of God came. Jesus came. And ever since, the kingdom of God has been coming. And what we mean by that is it's been coming in a spiritual way. The kingdom of God comes in people's hearts. Um, I think we've got a, a, a verse there. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. If you, it says in Romans 10 verse 9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. It's got to do with what you speak and what you believe in your heart. The kingdom of God comes in your heart. And so people are coming into the kingdom and and, and the kingdom is coming into people as they have faith in Christ. And so right now, the kingdom of God is coming. But it's coming in a spiritual way. But there's another meaning to this sense, this this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is near, which means to say that it's going to come physically. Um, and that means that Jesus is going to physically return and establish a kingdom on earth, here, on planet earth, and that will be the kingdom of God coming in fullness. Maybe you can put up that prophetic picture, uh, might, might have been later, the one with the two mountains. Yeah. Those of you know that I'm a bit of an illustrator, uh, I've seen my slides before, but I, d- I didn't illustrate this one. This one was stolen from somebody else. That guy on the, on the left-hand side is a prophet. And the prophets prophesied the coming of the kingdom of God. And this, this image is very helpful for me to get a sense of the times that we're living in now. Because when they prophesied the coming of the kingdom of God, they prophesied the whole package. The, 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 the miracles, the, the Messiah... The preaching of the good news, the setting of the captives to be free, the pouring out of the Spirit, judgment on the wicked, David's son sitting on the throne, ruling an earthly kingdom. They saw it all in one picture. And it's like the picture of that prophet who's seeing a double peak. But you know, I don't know if you've been on a hike before and you see what looks like the, the summit. And as you walk towards the summit, I've literally done this before. As you, it's like it's just there. And as you walk and as you're going up the hill, you get to the top of a, of a mini hill and you realize, oh, but there's actually a valley in between me and that summit. So not only am I walking up, I'm now walking up and then across and then down and then back up again. And it's quite discouraging. Well, that happened big time with the prophets because they saw the summit. They saw Jesus coming back and all of these things being fulfilled. But they didn't realize that there was actually two summits. Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And, and Jesus li- deliberately uh, picked up on this when he quoted his own mission. Uh, if you could put up that verse in Isaiah 61. Jesus quoted a, a prophetic uh, prophecy about when the Messiah comes. And he's famous for just quoting half of it. 
He cut off the other half. Uh, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What about this last part here? And the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't. He, he, he didn't go, he didn't mention that part. Because he wasn't here to do that the first time. He's going to do that the second time. So he, he just took a prophetic word about what he's going to do when he's going to come. And he just mentioned the first half. Interesting, hey? Because the second time he comes, he's going to be fulfilling the second half. But it, it, it's significant for us because it means we're living between the times. Between the times of his first coming and his second coming. And it's a very unique time. Now, I know that every generation likes to think that they're very unique, especially Gen Zs. But we won't, we won't bash them too much this morning. Every generation likes to think that the time that they're living in is unique. But actually, the time that we are living in is very unique. And I'll, I want to explain why. I'll, I'll give a summary, and then I'll unpack it. it it's unique because... Um, Satan is more vulnerable to being abused right now than he's ever been in the history of mankind. Did you know that? I know that we like to think of ourselves as being abused by Satan, but he is most vulnerable to being severely abused in this between-the-times moment than in the history of mankind. Did you know that? I'll unpack that. I see some puzzled faces. I, I, I promise I will, exp I, I will explain it. There's something else that's very unique about this time, is that it's a short window of opportunity. And I want to put up two slides, and it's, it's actually quite funny, because both Satan and Jesus have a great sense of urgency because of this short window of opportunity that we have. Maybe you can put up that next slide. Here's Satan. Let's do Satan first. Now that you had the right one there, go back. Can you go back? Slideshows are sometimes difficult to go backwards. Here we go. In Revelation, it says, But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. There's a very funny story when Jesus is casting out demons. And the demon said, have you, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Look, Jesus, there's a good and a proper place for you tormenting us. But as far as we understood it, it was still in the future, and you're doing it too soon. We have our time here. Don't cut our precious time short. It already is short. You get, the, you get the humor. So Satan knows that his time is short. Because he knows that judgment is coming. And when judgment comes, it's the end. It's final. No more opportunity to abuse God's people. No more opportunity to advance his own purposes. His time is done. And it's now. So Satan is highly motivated right now because we're between the times. He's got the short window of opportunity. But actually, we're the ones with the biggest opportunity. In that second verse, just get the sense of urgency 
in Paul as he writes this. It's quite shocking, actually, some of the things that he says here. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. You essentially are not going to have an opportunity to enjoy all the things you buy because this world is passing away and you can't take any of it with you. In the future kingdom, though, when Jesus returns, then you will have time to enjoy things. But now is not the time. It's like if you buy something, but you're moving to Joburg in two weeks' time. It's like, well, what's the point of buying a beautiful house here if you're not going to get to enjoy it? That's the language that he's using. Don't store up treasures here. You won't get a chance to enjoy it because this world is passing away. Uh, either, you, either you die, which is short compared to like eternity, right? We don't actually have long to live here. Or Jesus comes back, in which case it's even shorter. <laughs> we don't know which is going to happen first. But do you get the sense of urgency that he's carrying here? It's like we're living between the times. We're living in a very unique time. And there's a sense of what we've got to do here has actually got more to do with eternity than here. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Okay, you're following me so far, eh? Just put up the next slide. There's There's a very interesting story which Jesus tells, and this is very significant for me, and it's a big part of what I want to communicate to you this morning about, I mentioned the phrase that Satan is most vulnerable to being abused right now than in the history of the world. This is what I mean by that. Jesus said, he was using this story, he was actually responding to the Pharisees because they were accusing him of doing miracles by the power of Satan. And he said, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions? Unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he can plunder his house. Do you know that Jesus did that? There was a kind of binding that happened on Satan when Jesus came. There was a kind of restraining of his influence and his power to deceive people. That happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And right now, at this present moment in time, do you know what Jesus is busy doing? He is robbing Satan blind. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that so encouraging? There's something so beautiful about that. Jesus, through his church, is busy robbing Satan blind. And let me unpack that a little bit. Basically, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself primarily to his people, Israel. But the revelation of covenant and salvation and redemption didn't really filter out that much to the other nations. Right? And so they were bound by deception. And they were worshipping false gods and false idols. And they didn't have the knowledge of the truth of salvation. And so that was the house that Satan had, that 
was filled with people who he believed rightfully belonged to himself. Satan considered those people living in darkness still today as his possessions, as his people, as his house, his precious things. And Jesus, by his death and resurrection and by the proclamation of the gospel and through us, his church, is plundering the kingdom of darkness and redeeming people back, which is what that verse was talking about when it says, Jesus came to set the captives free, to proclaim good news to those who are poor. And that is what Jesus is doing through us. Now, you may not be seeing the connection between what I said at the beginning and what I'm saying now, in terms of our why. Sometimes, you know, when I... I start to think, like, why do I do what I do? Why do I sacrifice? Why do I put myself through this? I remember that we are busy plundering the kingdom of darkness. We are doing something very unique in the history of, of, of the world. We are populating the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. Let me say that again. We are populating the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. Some of you are sitting here today. You weren't even in the kingdom of God at the beginning of last year. True? Not only are you in this church, you are in the kingdom of heaven, and you will be in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. That is incredibly significant. True? Those who are nodding most vigorously are the ones who weren't in the kingdom of heaven at the beginning of last year. True? It becomes old hat when you've been a Christian for a long time, but it's, it's very, very significant. And when I feel discouraged, and I feel like, why do I do what I do? I, I remember you guys, and I remember that one day, we are all going to be receiving our eternal reward. And you're going to be there. And you're, the only reason why you're there is because together as God's people, as God's church, we stole you from Satan's kingdom. We robbed him blind. And there's such a sweet satisfaction that I get from that. There is. There's a sweet satisfaction. Satan has had his time. It's now the church of God's time to plunder the kingdom of darkness. And yes, it is hard. And yes, it is, it is painful. And there's a lot of sacrifice involved. But you know what? If it's for eternity, it's worth it. You know, Paul said something very significant. He said, you are my reward. We can talk about rewards in heaven all day long, but you know what? The most significant reward is you. What does that mean? It means that we get to participate in Christ together, enjoy Him together for all eternity. And that's the most beautiful thing. Paul speaks about the joy of seeing his kids in the Lord growing up. And there is a joy in that. You know, I sometimes speak to community leaders. And they'll say, hey, man, you know what? This person is doing so well. In fact, I don't even know how they're doing so well. Because last time we spoke, I was just very depressed. I, th I thought they were a goner. But they're doing so well. They've overcome this. They've overcome that. I think they're going to make it, you know? It's probably hard for you to imagine that your community leader speaking like that about you. But sometimes they do, eh? It's like, I didn't know if they were going to make it, eh? But I, th I think they're going to make it. <laughs> There's this joy, man. That, that joy is, the, you know what that joy is? The same joy that Jesus himself has. Do you know that? When you experience that sense of, I think this person's going to make it. That's the joy of Jesus. That's Jesus rejoicing in one lost lamb 
that has been found. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a very significant thing. We're rejoicing with Jesus. So partly what it means to set the captives free, it means, yes, to get people saved, for sure. That's a massive win. And, and to be honest, last year was a very significant for you. It's not normal how many people got saved last year. Maybe for you, if you're new here, you think that's normal. It, I, I wish it was normal. It's not normal how many people got saved last year in this congregation. It's not normal how many baptisms we had last year as we did in this congregation. It's, it's actually not normal. But, but let's pray the, the Lord that it is normal. And Jesus said, the harvest is ready for... It's ready. It's white. It's, it's ready to be harvested. And he said, pray for the laborers. He's pray for the laborers. You know what's interesting about the word laborer? A lot of us are, are white-collar workers, you know? We, we work, work in things like IT, and we, we type on, on keyboards a lot. The word laborer doesn't really spring to mind when I think of what most of us do. Do you know what I mean? Labor speaks about like manual labor, like sweating and things like that. Most of us work in an aircon, air-conditioned office. Some of you guys complain that your office is too cold. <laughs> Nevertheless, Jesus said, pray for the laborers. You know what that means? It means we're going to work hard. A laborer is somebody that sweats and works hard. And he said, pray for the laborers. And I, and I would recommend that you do pray for the laborers. Those who are currently laboring and those who are still rising up into what God has called them to do. But we, we are going to work hard. But it's worth it because the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a story I want to read for you, and, and I feel like this is a prophetic um, pr uh, parable. It's the parable of the, the ten women. Maybe you can put it up. Ten, ten women. And Jesus told this parable. He actually told three parables in Matthew chapter 25, and most of them actually say the same thing. And I feel like it's an apt word for our generation. I'll tell you why. All three of them, well, at least the first two, the third one not so much, but they speak about the real danger of the times that we live in. There's massive opportunity, but there's a, there's a, there's a danger that, that, that's associated with every moment in time. And the danger for our moment of time is the one that I've put in, in, in yellow there, that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Usually at weddings, we wait a long time for the bride. Don't look at people, Sean. It's not necessary to point people out. <laughs> Usually we wait a long time for the bride to come. But actually, in Jewish weddings, the bride would wait for the groom. And I think that's the way it should be. Amen? Anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> the point is, Jesus, Jesus knew that the biggest trial to our generation was going to be that he was going to take a long time to come back. And here's what happened in the story. There were ten women, and their job, they were part of the bridal party. Their job was to wait for the groom to come back and to receive him. They were the welcoming reception party that would meet the, the, the groom, and they would walk him to the ceremony, to the bride. 
That was their job. And so they were waiting for the groom to come so that they could receive him. And obviously, like, this is like your bridal party. They're your nearest and dearest, right? That's who you usually put in your bridal party. People who are most invested in the marriage. And do you know who that is? It's us. We are that bridal party that are waiting for the groom to return, to receive him, and to walk him in to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the, the danger is that the groom took too long to come, and so they all fell asleep. Some of them sinned worse than others, though. Some of them didn't have enough oil for their lamps. They had just brought the oil that was actually in the lamp. They, hadn't, they didn't bring extra oil. And so it says there, when the groom arrived, let me, let me read it. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins awoke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Go and go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Virgins who were ready went in. The door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep Watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And I feel there's something in this passage here for us. We're, we're all the, the wedding party waiting for the return of Christ, but the, the urgency is, is that because the hour grows long, and we, I think that for me it, it means two things. Life is long, right? Serving Jesus is great for a year, but for your whole life, it's, it's a long time to be faithful to the Lord. Amen? It's true, right? Some of you are nodding vigorously, but you've been saved for a year. Even a year can feel long. That, a whole lifetime is, is long. But never mind that. The returning for Christ, we've been waiting for 2,000 years. I know that's a day for the Lord. Or two days. He says 1,000 years is like a day. But for us, it feels like 2,000 years, right? It feels like a really long time. And the danger is you grow, you grow complacent in what the Lord has called you to. You grow over-familiar with the things of God. You forget your calling. And you fall asleep. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit. It represents staying fresh through communion with the Lord. I think there's a significance in the fact here that this is the bridal party. They know the bride. They know the groom. They have relationship. This is something that they're yearning for, that they're longing for, that they're waiting for. There's a, there's a love motivation here. They're not here because it's their job. They're here because they're excited for this wedding. And the calling of every Christian is to stay fresh, to keep the longing, to keep the love, to keep the communion with the Father, that you don't rest on previous victories, that you don't re rest on previous manner, that the presence of the Lord is something that's fresh in you. That you are refreshed. That you not only have been filled with the Spirit, but you go on being filled. And you keep that intimacy. And my, my encouragement to you this morning is keep watch. Don't forget what you're called to. And stay fresh. Stay intimate. Walk with the Lord. Don't rely on previous errors of when you did this and when you did that. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more easy it is to, to talk about, you know, the days, the good old days. But I'm just taking a hiatus now, you know, for a break. 
That's not, that's not how the kingdom of God works. The second warning and the second encouragement, both parables have the something that's really exciting about it and an encouragement and something that's very sobering about it. With the first one, it's, there's a wedding coming. That's exciting, right? It's, it, it gets you envisioned. But then there's this warning. And the same happens with the second parable, which is the one with the talents. Now, I know we like to talk about America's got talent. And when we talk about talent, we usually talk about abilities. But actually, talent is a reference to gold. It's a reference to something that's precious. Um, and it says here that the man went away on a long journey. Interesting, the second thing here is that he went away on a long journey. And the test came that his journey was so long. It is obviously longer than they thought it was going to be. Can you see the parallel? It's the same message. It's the same warning. But there's a different emphasis here, which is that when he went on his long journey, he entrusted his business, his household goods, his precious things, he entrusted them to his servants. That's us in this story. In the previous story, we were the bridal party. In this story, we're the servants. And there's something very sobering about this and something really awesome about it. Jesus has not just given you the inheritance of eternal life. He's entrusted to you the kingdom of God to steward well while he's away. Now, I know we say that the kingdom of God is, you know, the kingdom grows because of the king, right? He does the work and he brings the growth. But there's something in this parable that says he went away and he entrusted these precious things to his servants. He's entrusted the work and the precious things to you and me. And can I say, I'm not referring to the elders or the deacons here or the full-time staff. It's to us. He's entrusted the precious things of the kingdom to us. We are the servants. Every single one of us have been given something precious to steward, to take care of. And after a long time when he came back, some of the men had been very faithful with what they'd been entrusted. Some of them with five talents and three talents and two, two talents. One of the men said, you know, like you, you were away for a really long time, so I didn't really know if you were going to come back. So I just put it, he hid it in a hole so that, you know, he could dig it up. If, if the guy came back, he could just dig it up and give it back to him. Um, but, but to the ones who invested his precious treasures well, this is what he says, well done, Good and faithful servants. For me personally, that's what I live for. I live for that day when Jesus comes back and he says, Luke, I, I mean, I hope he says this. That, that's, what I'm, this is what I'm aiming for. You know, if I finish well, I think I'm doing all right now, but it, it could still be a while. When he comes back or I go to him, that he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have taken the things, the precious things that I gave to you to take care of, and you've multiplied it. And, but I cannot just say, he won't just do that with me. He'll do it with you too. He'll look at the things he's entrusted to you and the, the well done of the Father. In many ways, that is the reward. That is the reward. It's like there's a moment we have. I, talk, I spoke about the uniqueness of the times that we live in. We have an opportunity to glorify Jesus now in a way that's very unique to our generation, to the times that we live in. We have an opportunity to multiply the precious things 
of the kingdom. I keep saying precious things, but in my experience, it's actually not precious things. God's not concerned about things. True? Which precious things are God, is God concerned about? Let's be honest. Me, you. The trees are going to burn. So obviously they're not that, that precious to him. In the sense of relatively, right? It's you. You're the thing that's precious to Jesus. I'm the thing that's precious. We are the things that are precious to Jesus. So we can talk about you know, stewarding precious things, but actually we're talking about precious people. The precious people that God has put in our lives, that God has put in this family. That's what God cares about, and that's what he wants to multiply. And when he comes back, he's, he's, he's hoping for, and he's, he's working for, a beautiful reward, a harvest of people that love Jesus and that have escaped from the clutches of the evil one. And so there's something here about being faithful that I believe the Lord wants to ins- like really knit into us. I felt the Lord say that to me when I was going through my little, like, he said, Luke, just be faithful. Like, okay. Faithful is one of those words, you know, it's like, it's a very average sort of word, right? Faithfulness is not really something you see in the news or, you know, like famous people are are, are, like acclaimed for for faithfulness. It's like, well, they kept doing the same thing well over a long period of time, like whoop-de-doo, you know? But actually in God's economy, faithfulness, is one of the most highly regarded attributes is to do something well for a long period of time, to be faithful with what he's entrusted into your hands. And I believe my goal is I want to be faithful. Even, even if it's not spectacular, let it be faithful. Let me be found to be a reliable man of God. And I believe that's God's desire for you, is to be faithful. The last thing I want to say about this has got to do with the fact that for every calling, there's a cost. And with every calling, there is an easy way out that avoids the cost. I'm speaking here from personal experience, but I'm also speaking from Scripture. If you look at the life of Jesus, what did Jesus come to do? What was his calling? His calling was to redeem humanity for God. That was his calling, to set the captives free. But it came at the cost of the cross. And what does Satan come and do? He says, look, let's make a deal. I'll give you what your calling is. I'll give you your inheritance. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. And you can do it without the cross. Just bow down before me. We'll we'll do a quick deal here. You can get what you want. I'll get what I want. And can I say the Lord, that, that, that Satan will do the same with you and he'll do the same with me? With every part of your calling that, that asks something of you that's costly, that's painful, Satan will come with an easy way out and say, well, if you do it this way, we can avoid some of the unpleasantness. But I want to encourage you. This is an encouragement to you and it's an encouragement to me. Jesus said, the way to heaven is a narrow road. It's a narrow road. It's a way which does require cost. It's, a, it's the harder way, but it's the only way that leads to eternity. Jesus chose to walk the narrow path. He didn't short-circuit the sacrifice. 
And so there's a specific thing that the Lord has called you to. Yes, he's called us all to some similar things, but there's some certain things that the Lord has uniquely called you to, and your calling will be tested. And the test will be compromise. And so I want to encourage you in that. Don't forget that the kingdom of heaven is near. And yes, there is a cost, but it's worth it. Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I want to encourage you, for the joy set before you, don't choose the way of compromise. Choose the way which Jesus is calling you to walk. You know, we've got a way of spiritualizing things, even compromise. <laughs> if you, the longer you're a Christian, the longer you'll get good at spiritualizing compromise. You can, you can say things in such a way that it sounds almost spiritual, but your heart knows. But actually, that's not the way the Holy Spirit's called me to live. Deep down, you know that that's actually not. He's actually chosen, he actually wants me to walk this narrow road that's, that's costlier. And so friends will offer, Zandi in my case was the one that said, yeah, Luke, you, you're making it sound spiritual, but actually the Lord's called you to this. It's like, yeah, you're right. He has. So keeping in step with the Spirit. Partly what that means, and I want to put up this image, and you may have seen this with the rocks. Partly this means very practically doing the most important things first. Now this is a life skill. It's kingdom principle, but it's also a life skill. Many of us, Fill our lives with stuff. And this is a good time to take stock of this because it's January, right? You fill your life with sand. It's those little things that you like, those little things that are pressing on your time, those little things that are pressing on your precious resources. But they fill your life so quickly that the big rocks, the really important stuff, doesn't have any space in your life left. And now we're talking about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you, how you prioritize the gifts that God's put in you, those unique abilities that the Lord has put in you, even the authority, the responsibility of leadership that you have in the world, whether it be in the work or in the church or wherever, those precious things, they are limited resources. And so I want to encourage you, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. And the rest of the sand, God will find a way for that to fit in. But if you put the sand in first, you're going to live, live your life and look back and think, why is my jar so full of sand and the rocks are all sitting outside because I couldn't find a place for them? Do the important things first. Consecrate to the Lord the best part of your life for the things of His kingdom. Amen? Even when I wake up in the morning, the best time of my day is the first hours of my day. I know that some of you are not morning person. You may strongly disagree with me on theological and practical points. But the first part of my day is the most precious part of my day. I give it to the Lord. My mind is clearest. My heart is clearest. And I, I consecrate that time to the Lord. And He has the best part of my day. And so I want to just close by saying with those Women who were receiving Christ, they had a calling. With the servants that Jesus spoke about, who entrusted the precious things, they had a calling. You have a calling. God has put you on this planet for a reason. You are alive and breathing today for a reason. Yes, you may think, well, I'm saved. Well, what's the point? Like, why do I even need to be here? You do need to be here because we're living in a unique time. Where God has called us as his church to plunder the kingdom of Satan. 
to, 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 to steal back the precious people who Jesus died on the cross to live. Discipleship is something God has called each one of us to. That's a big word. It essentially just means helping people to overcome Satan and sin. That's what it means. Sometimes if you're a community leader, that looks like teaching and things like that. Sometimes it's you as a friend praying for your friend who's going through a testing time. Speaking the truth and love to your friend. Rescuing them from the clutches of sin and Satan. Sometimes it's having somebody around in your home for a meal and including them into the kingdom of God. Because they need to be welcomed in. Every one of us has a different sphere of influence, but every one of us has a call. And can I say, it's an urgent call. It's it's a vitally important call. It's the only reason why we're still on this planet. It's the only reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet. He hasn't returned yet because he actually wants his kingdom to be full of people. Right? A kingdom without people is pretty lame. That's the whole point of a kingdom. Right? So you have citizens. A city without citizens is pointless. And he has called each one of us to make disciples. I feel like this year, God is going to equip and raise up each one of us to be better at discipling people, at loving people, at welcoming people into our homes. I also feel like the Lord is going to, He has been and is going to continue to mess things up a bit. I've said this a number of times in the last couple of weeks, and I feel like it's prophetic that graveyards are very beautiful. They are very well ordered. Everything is in its proper place. All the little crosses, stones. They're well manicured, but they're dead. Maternity wards, on the other hand. Many of you are like often in maternity wards because you're doctors and you're delivering babies, right? Many of you have thankfully never had to endure that trial. I have. I can testify to the fact that maternity wards are messy. Sometimes traumatically so. I was definitely traumatized in the maternity ward. No one even cut me. (laughs) But there's life. There's new life. And I feel like even relationally, God's going to teach us how to love well. And in our relationships, he's going to stretch us. In our friendships, I hope we get stretched even more. That with new people coming in, with new believers coming in, man, they sometimes awkward. And when I say awkward, I don't mean socially awkward. I mean like they're still being rescued from sin, sinful tendencies. But the Lord wants us to open our hearts and our homes wide to grow family. Family includes new babies. Amen? Let's pray.